All right. You guys doing all right? Cool beans. Having a good holiday so far. How many people in here now uh, have graduated? Anybody here who like just graduated? <laughs> Put your hands down. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations to those of you. I know that we do have seniors that did graduate uh, this weekend, and so that's awesome, and congratulations to you guys. And I uh, just wanted to make sure uh, that you definitely heard it from us, how proud uh, of you we all are uh, and how exciting that is. Um, so um, this past like month, past few weeks, we have been going over Advent. Uh, and some of you guys, I know I did see some new faces and stuff in here too. Um, just so you guys know, we have been in the book of Luke uh, since like the dawn of time. Um, but every year around Christmas, we take a break from Luke, which is funny because the Christmas story happens to be <laughs> in the book of Luke. So we'll, we'll be there, uh, but in a different way. We kind of take a break from whatever book we're in, whatever teaching we've been doing uh, in order to celebrate Advent and to really look at the Advent season. And uh, we did go around and kind of do like a survey of the crowd uh, when we first opened up. Um, but just to kind of say it again, if you went to a church where you celebrated Advent, if that was kind of part of your childhood, would you just raise your hand real quick? All right, cool. So a few of us, not a ton of us, this mic wants to come off of my ear. Please excuse me. It's fine. Um, some of us did, a lot of us didn't. I know I personally did not at all and uh, really didn't even know, honestly, what Advent was until a few years ago outside of just like a calendar that had chocolates in it. Um, and so uh, for those of us that didn't really celebrate Advent might not know exactly what it is. Uh, Advent was a time, it's something that's been celebrated in, ever since like the early church back in like 300, 400 AD. Uh, and it was a way of us preparing our hearts and getting ready for um, the Christmas holiday. So much in the same way, if any of us have ever celebrated Lent as well, and how a lot of times we'll use Lent as a way of preparing our hearts for the Easter season, Advent was that way of preparing our hearts, just kind of challenging us, um, focusing our thoughts and really knowing uh, what the Christmas season is all about, what that holiday is really celebrating. Uh, and when you look at what the early church actually thought we should celebrate with Advent uh, is really neat as well. So that word Advent, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, uh, which is a translation of the Greek word parousia. So if you're a note taker, just cool little things to make yourself sound smart later on. Uh, and what those words actually meant as uh, they were talking about Jesus, not only in his physical form uh, as he was incarnated, as he lived on earth, but it also talks about the second coming. So it's this idea of the already, but not yet. And it's something that we've been talking about a lot through Advent. Uh, if you listened on Facebook Live last week uh, when we were preaching, um, that already not yet, the best way I can describe it is that my wife is pregnant. She is, she is very pregnant. Uh, we are due sometime in February. And so in a very real sense, I am already a father, right? Uh, it would be a completely and totally true statement to say that right now my wife and I are parents but there was also very much so um, this other part of her being pregnant where we are expecting a child. We are not yet parents. We're eagerly awaiting uh, for the fulfillment of something that we're already living in our lives, right? It would be a true statement to also say that I am not yet a parent. And so in the same way, um, Jesus has already come. He has already vanquished sin. We are already living in that victory right now. 
And it would be a true statement for you to say that. But there is another part of this, this not yet, where we are also eagerly awaiting the time when Jesus would come again and where the fulfillment of that promise uh, would become real in our lives and something that we're already kind of actively acting out and something that we identify with. And so Advent is a time for us to focus our thoughts, to come back and to realize that with the birth of Jesus is a perfect example of this already, but not yet scenario. Uh, And so Gabe opened us up a few weeks ago with talking about hope. Uh, Last week, we were not here because it was like Armageddon or something. Um, Ended up just being really cold. (laughs) Uh, But so we talked on Facebook Live. I talked about peace. Uh, This week, we are going to talk about joy. Uh, Then we're going to go into love and kind of ended up on Christmas Eve with the Christ candle. So looking back now, uh, those are kind of the big, the four ideas that we talk about with Advent that we use to explain this already, but not yet. So uh, this week, like I said, we're going to be looking at joy. And before we do that, I think we're going we're gonna to pray um, over this service and uh, everything in it, and then we'll hop right into it. You guys cool with that? I'm a dude anyway, so it's, it's cool. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for what today is and what today stands for. Thank you so much, God, that we have the distinct opportunity, um, that we have been called out by you, Father, and that we are here to worship and to exalt your name and all that you have done in us. I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes, God, um, to receive what it is that you have for us today in this word, uh, and that we would be able to worship you in this already but not yet, that we are living in victory now, and we also, we wait patiently and hopefully uh, in your second coming, God. Uh, Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being so good, for being bigger and better and more loving and more awesome than anything we could ever imagine, God. I pray for the dumb, stupid words that are about to come out of my mouth, God, and uh, that whatever just spillage comes out, that you are able to turn that into life, uh, that you are able to turn that into something that can be used to exalt your name, uh, and that we would leave this place, God, emboldened and encouraged and filled with your spirit. And it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. So, and the true spirit of Christmas, I thought that we would start off in talking about joy by talking about depression. Is that cool with you? Um, but honestly, in order for us to really look at how the earth views joy, um, with this topic in particular, I think that it's important for us to really look at what it isn't. So I'm going to read you guys some statistics, and I want us to think about it. Um, so first off, and I guess before I go into that, I should also mention, too, that uh, As I'm talking about this, as I'm talking about anxiety, as I'm talking about depression, as I'm talking about times and places and people who do not feel joy in their lives, uh, I should also say that I'm a big believer in counseling. Uh, My wife and I both are very big advocates in seeking out mental health. Uh, And so if you have a problem, whether it be clinical, something that you have suffered with or that you've experienced your entire life, or whether it's more situational, if you've experienced a trauma or a loss um, recently in your life that is affecting your joy, uh, if you broke your leg, you would definitely go see a doctor, right? Because that freaking hurts. Uh, and because not going and seeing a doctor can only lead to worse problems down the line. In the same way, if you would do that and you would see a professional and you would see a doctor to help with your physical health, why in the world would you not do the same thing for your mental health if you are suffering from something that hurts? really honestly hurts, then it's only going to lead to harder and deeper and more progressive problems if you don't seek help later on. So I need to make sure and state that beforehand that we're on the same page, okay, uh, with that. And the reason I say that and the reason why it is so important is because of numbers like this. Over 18% of the American population suffers from persistent anxiety. 18%. 
In case you're a math person, that's over 40 million Americans that suffer from prolonged persistent anxiety, something that is debilitating that they are living with on a day-to-day basis. That's not just, I get nervous sometimes on airplanes, right? Um, of those 40 million individuals that are suffering from anxiety, only 30%, uh, 36% are actually receiving treatment. Only 36% of those people are actually going out and seeking help or receiving medication. So again, if you're a math person, that's about 26 million individuals who are living with that debilitating illness of anxiety and are not seeking treatment. They're just grinning and bearing it. Uh, Over 6 million live with a panic disorder. 7.7 million live with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, the number one cause of which actually isn't the military, it's actually rape or sexual assault. Uh, 16.1 million suffer from a major depressive disorder. Um, Suicide, actually, uh, in America is the 10th leading cause of death. And according to the World Health Organization, and this was staggering to me, according to the World Health Organization, so going just from America, zooming out into the entire world, uh, it is estimated that over a million people commit suicide successfully every single year. That leads out, statistically, to one person every 40 seconds. So since we've been here, we started at 10 o'clock. It is, what time is it now? It is now 10.30. So just since we started service, 30, 40, 45 people have already looked at their lives and have realized that the resources and the family that they have or whatever support system that they have for themselves is not enough to overcome the feeling of being alone, of being anxious, of being depressed, to the point where they decided that their answer is to take their own life. Just since we started this. That should make us uncomfortable. That shouldn't make us happy. And so leading on to that, what does the world do about this depression? Because it looks like when we're talking about earthly joy, the number one thing that we find out is that not a lot of people have it, right? So how do we deal with that? How do we look towards it? Um, One of the biggest industries in the world is the self-help industry. And I also want to state before this too, uh, is that I'm not saying with that, I realize that I just talked about suicide and then now I'm jumping into self-help and so it seems like I might be making a negative correlation there. I'm not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with reading those books. I just mentioned that I was a person who was big on seeking help and in you know, seeking treatment. For a lot of people, this is the first step to that. So there's nothing inherently wrong with reading those books. I'm simply just stating the prevalence of it in our society and what we do. The self-help industry, um, $11 billion every single year, steadily increasing by a little over 5 to 6% every single year. So it's only getting bigger. I mean, for instance, just, you know, the biggest way that we use self-help is through books. How many of us in this room, and my hand is going up as well, can honestly say that in the past year or so, we have read a book that we would classify as a, as a self-help book, something that would help you uh, in being happier and being more organized and, and encouraging your life. I find that interesting because over 40 million copies of these books have been sold worldwide. Ironically, the same number of people who suffer from anxiety, right? Not saying it's correlated, but maybe. I don't know. Uh, And these are all books that I'm sure that we've heard of, right? Um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Hoot, right? Uh, You guys know that one. Um, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. How to Make Friends and How to Influence People. The Secrets, a really big one that people have read. Uh, Every Day of Friday, Your Best Life Now. I mean, these are all books that have talked about, have the basic idea of uh, improving or helping to become more efficient or more effective in some area of life with the absolute goal of being more happy, right? That you will eventually be a better person, that you will experience more joy. 
And so what we see from kind of the earthly perspective of joy and what the world brings and what the world says about it is number one is that joy is very hard to find, that it is elusive, and that number two, that it's something that we have to work for. Even think about the way in which we talk about those words. When you're talking about something that makes you happy, it's just that. It makes you happy, right? It forces it upon you. It brings you joy. But the way in which we use those words, the picture that's being painted is that joy is this feeling that we don't have control over. It is elusive. It's hard to find. And if you want it, you'll be one of the few that actually obtain it and you're gonna have to work for it. Going out and looking for things and saying, will this make me happy? Will this make me happy? Does this resonate with anybody? And especially around the Christmas season in a time when we are supposed to feel joyful, right? How many of us have watched a Hallmark movie so far this season, okay? I know the Staples have because I watched it with you, all right? Um, that all of these things, the, the, the whole, kind of, again, the picture that's being painted around the Christmas season and joy in, like, in general is that you go out and you find something that makes you happy. And so with this sermon and with this week, what I want us to start to look at is to challenge that idea that obviously this is something that we feel, that we recognize in our lives. And so what does the Bible say about that, about joy, about happiness and what it brings? And so looking around then um, at joy, um, the cool thing about uh, a lot of times with these sermons is like how they, how they sort of break up is, you know, like I'll give a word and this is what the world sees it. And then now let's jump over and let's look at the Hebrew word, right? Um, because Hebrew is a really cool language uh, in just how different it is from English. And so even like last week when I talked about this idea of shalom, how we think of this idea of peace, but then we go to shalom, it has a completely different meaning that changes our understanding of it. Um, and so I will admit that the first thing I did is I tried to look up the word joy in Hebrew and see like, well, how is this different? How's it going? It just means happiness, right? There's like 20 different words that all mean joy in the Hebrew and in the Greek. Uh, and essentially, they all have that same idea about them or things that are happiness. The main difference that we see in earthly joy and in seeing that biblical joy uh, is the way in which it's used, where that joy comes from, and what it is that we're supposed to do with it, right? So that's the main way that I want to challenge us in this and looking at and what they're talking about. And so I'm going to warn you guys beforehand, we're going to pull out our Bibles, so if you want to you know, dust them off and pick them up from under your seat or wherever, there should be one at the ends of the aisles if you don't have one. If you have an app or something, I won't think less of you if you're looking at your phone, I'll just assume, all right? I'll never know if you're on Instagram or something. Um, I'm going to be jumping around to a lot of, of different stories and to a lot of different verses. Uh, so it's kind of like the opposite of an exegetical sermon with this. Because what I want to do is I want to let scripture speak for itself here. Um, I want us to see in these verses of these people and what the Bible is telling us over and over and over again. And then at the end, see if we can connect the dots. See if there is a string that goes through all of these different stories and what's being said so that we can come to an actual conclusion ourselves, right? Is that good with you guys? Uh, and so if you are a note taker, um, maybe this is a time, again, because I want to kind of move through it, um, where you just write down the verse that I say, and if you want to look it up later. Or if you're the type of person that needs to listen back through things in order to fully understand it, uh, then maybe this is something, go to the SoundCloud afterwards and really work through these verses afterwards to process it. If you need to see it with me, I'll try and give some time for us all to be able to flip through here. But I just want to go ahead and warn you guys beforehand. It's not like we're going to open up to Luke chapter 8 and we're just going to stay there the whole time, right? 
So that being said, the first place we're going to go, all right, flash round, is Philippians. Philippians, the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 18. And I got I to gotta turn there too, so be with me about it. Philippians chapter 1, in verse 18. Everyone got it? We there? We good? Philippians, again, chapter 1. And we're going to be in verse 18. Where am I at? Where am I at? Okay. But what does it matter? This is Paul talking. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so a little bit of backstory about what this is actually talking about. Um, if you guys remember last week when we were talking on Facebook Live, we actually used Philippians um, to talk about peace as well. If you were to flip over just one page to chapter 4, uh, in verse 4, that's what we read last week. So that's rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Uh, it's where he talks about do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does that ring any bells for anybody? This is also, if you remember, or maybe if you weren't there last week, um, all of us, I'm sure, have some t-shirt that we got from VBS with a little bit later on, Philippians 4.13, later on where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So a lot of us are familiar with this book and what it's been talking about. What's happening in this is Paul is talking to the church in Philippi because they're worried about him. Uh, they don't know what's going to happen. He was actually, he wrote this from prison, and he's giving uh, this letter to this guy, Epaphroditus. I remember last week I said that name is not important at all. I just am really proud that I can pronounce it, so there it is, Epaphroditus. Um, and they're worried that he might be executed, that he is not having a good time, that he is suffering in prison. And so his response to that is he's telling them at this point, what does it matter? The important thing is in every way, right, that Christ is preached, and for that I will rejoice. So he is telling them, in this moment, to the church of Philippi, don't worry about me, that I know that Christ is being preached, and for that reason that I will rejoice, that my body is simply here to exalt him, that I know that God is good, and that that gives me enough reason to be in a state of joy and to rejoice his name. Make sense? Okay, so from there, okay, remember, we're going to be going through a bunch of different verses and seeing if we can find a trend in there, letting scripture speak for itself. So next, I want you, I tried to do this kind of in order, so we'll always be moving backwards. So we were just in Philippians chapter 1. Now I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So we're still in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We are going to be in verse 3 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. My uh, little subheading says Paul's hardships. So if you guys got those two, maybe that's what it says. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, 
imprisonments and riots and hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, impurity, understanding, patience and kindness, and the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine and yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making everyone rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. So in this moment, again, this is Paul talking. Instead, he's talking to the church in Corinth. And what's happening here in this moment is that Char, um, Char, oh, I don't know what I said. I think I was saying a Pokemon, Charizard. Uh, Paul, what he's doing is he started this church in Corinth, okay? And he's left afterwards and he's received a report later on that a lot of the people, a lot of the original leaders, uh, people, quit laughing at me. <laughs> people who started this church in Corinth, he's received this report now that a lot of those people have left him, Right? And so he wrote the first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, to address these problems, and then actually went to the church in Corinth for what's later referred to as the sorrowful visit, to try and ask them basically like, dude, what's up? What are you guys doing? Why have you gone off to these weird heretical teachings? And the reason that the people in the church of Corinth had actually left Paul is they said that they were ashamed of him. They were ashamed of him because soon after he left, all of these new people had come in who were also preaching similar, not the same, but similar gospels. And those people were nicer dressed. They were more impressive speakers. They weren't essentially homeless. They didn't spend most of their life in prison. They weren't suffering. And so they looked at these people and they said, wow, these guys look like they've got it together. They seem happier. And so why shouldn't we then follow this instead of Paul? They actually went to Paul in that moment and they demanded that he give a letters of recommendation, all right, proving that he actually had the credentials uh, to speak what he had said. And so what Paul is doing at this moment is he's kind of laying down the law. He's bringing down the hammer, so to speak. And he's telling them, what are my credentials? You're my credentials. I started this church for you. The righteousness that is in you, the spirit of God that is in this place, that is the credentials, all the credentials that I need. And he's comparing himself to the other apostles in this moment, talking about the suffering. He shows himself as a servant to God in this moment, saying that our purpose is to exalt him. And so the sufferings that we experience now, what you are saying is shameful is actually what I am most proud of. Saying in that moment, looking at the people that he's lost, the friends he's lost, the imprisonments that he's gone through, and, and, and describing it as being sorrowful and yet always rejoicing that God is his joy in that moment and that the love and the truth that he experiences him is that is enough for him to constantly be rejoicing even though he experiences sorrow. Starting to see a little bit of a pattern. Let's keep going back. So we were in Philippians, then we were in 2 Corinthians. Now I want you to go back to the book of Acts. We're gonna be in Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five. We're gonna start off in verse 33. Okay, so there's a whole lot here. It's verse 33 all the way down to verses 42, but that middle section is not quite as important. So bear with me. I'm not going to read like the whole thing. That would, that would be ridiculous. But Acts chapter 5, verse 33. And when they heard this, they were furious. These are Pharisees. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed them. 
and he addresses them. So skip over a little bit uh, to verse 40. And it says that his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And here's the important part. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So the apostles, Peter and the like, at this point have been out and they've been preaching the gospel. They've been teaching that Jesus has come, that he was the Messiah, that he was risen again. You know, you who you have crucified, like uh, God found it worthy that he has been risen up and he's ascended now to the Father and he's coming back. They're preaching the good news of Jesus and they've been arrested and taken before the courts. And this guy Gamaliel, what the he addresses them as is basically what he's saying is like, listen, these guys are speaking on behalf of God. So only one of two things has happened. Either they're not actually speaking on behalf of God, in which case God's going to deal with them, or they are speaking on behalf of God, in which case God is also going to deal with them, and there's no way that we can stop them. So why don't we just let this kind of run its course, and, and we'll see. But what the Pharisees are doing is they basically looked at them and they said, like, I thought we got rid of you with this Jesus guy. You know, we handled him. We thought you guys would disperse, and they didn't. And so they have threatened them with death. They've taken them before the courts. They found them guilty. Uh, later on, they were going to be in prison for this. They have told them, commanded them, do not speak the name of Jesus again. Beat them within an inch of their life and then thrown them out into the streets, made an example of them. And the way in which they responded to this is to, as it says, rejoice because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And in the temple courts and from house to house, day after day, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So let's hear some words from Jesus now. So again, let's move on back. And this time I want us to go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 12. Again, if you have subheadings there, this is the Beatitudes. A lot of us have heard these. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is Jesus talking now. And this is an entire sermon in and of itself. I mean, you could spend like so much time just on breaking that apart and seeing who God is calling blessed. But the important thing here that we want to hear is from the mouth of Jesus, him looking at his people and telling them, you are going to experience like bad times. Things are about to get rough. I myself am God and am going to die a horrible, painful, lonely death. And in the face of that, I am telling you to rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Hopefully we can start to see now that the string that actually ties all of these things together is the idea that in none of these situations did we see good times, right? 
None of these looked like Christmas in the homestead or like some Hallmark movie, all right? There wasn't fake snow and Santa didn't come and there wasn't like a little orphan that like showed the true meaning of Christmas or something like that. They didn't come out and say the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear and then Zoe Deschanel has a solo. Okay, none of these were good times. They were all bad. They were all suffering. None of them looked like joy. But what they considered joy had nothing to do with their circumstances, it had nothing to do with their situation, it had everything to do with the promises of Jesus Christ. That in that, when they looked to him, when they saw that he was their joy, that that was unflinching, that it always stayed the same, so regardless of their trials or what it looked like, they could look to him and they could choose in that moment to rejoice. And so what does all this have to do with Christmas? Because when we look to Jesus and we see the culmination of this, when we see it start to build up, it all goes back to one moment. And this is the last time that I want you guys to turn in your Bible. You're turning forward now, but it's back in time. So I think it still works. I want you guys to go to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. Birth of Jesus. Sweet little baby, eight ounce or three pound, eight ounce, whatever. Three pounds, Jesus was bigger than that. Eight pounds, he was an eight pound baby. (laughs) Speak it. Chapter two, verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were uh, terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That in this, that Jesus Christ in his birth was the culmination of the entire will of God and that that is our joy. Um, I think it's been really interesting for me, and I, I've been, it's, I'm kind of glad that I got the two weeks that I did. We could have split it up however we wanted to, but I ended up with both peace and joy. And as I'm reading these, and as I've been kind of working on these sermons, it's been really cool to see just how the two of these things have worked together. And a lot of the same ideas in one uh, have crossed over and gone into the next. If you weren't here, if you weren't able to listen to last week's sermon, uh, especially if this is something that you struggle with, if this is something, a problem that you've had, I would encourage you, not because I'm cool or whatever, but just because, you know, the Bible's neat, um, to go back to last week, watch the Facebook Live, go on our Facebook, and see it. Um, just to see, I think it'll, it'll help a lot with what I'm saying in this too. Um, there's actually, there's a really cool quote from this guy, Charles Spurgeon, uh, where he's talking about peace and joy. And he says that peace is nothing more than resting joy. By the same token, that joy is nothing more than dancing peace. And so when we looked at this, we talked a lot about how peace, that, that word, that Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Uh, and it's used n- not just in the way that we understand peace, but that actual word means completeness or wholeness. And so it's used not just to talk about uh, restoring people or restoring relationships, that it was actually used in some cases to talk about stonework, right? If you had a shalom stone, it was a stone that was without blemish, that was without crack. It was complete. It was whole. And so peace is this idea that Jesus is our peace, that we talked about that, that uh, knowing that he has being our savior, being our Messiah has restored us to completeness. 
And so knowing that as long as we are looking to him, as long as we know that we find our peace, we find our completeness in him, we have been restored, the work has been done. And so nothing at that moment can break our peace. And so looking at that and what Spurgeon has said and how these two words play together, um, I talked a little bit beforehand, I asked you guys how many of you guys graduated, right? How many of you are college students and are just done for the semester period? Right? Maybe you're not graduated, but at least you're done for the next couple months, and praise God for that, right? Uh, as we talked about peace, I gave this analogy, and I said that I want you guys to imagine finals. I know all of you guys just got out of there, and then watching Laura and the amount of pressure that she was under, uh, remembering it myself, and that amount of stress, that like need to do well, right? Uh, just seeing like, I want to make this grade in the class, so I know I've got to make this grade on the final, which means that I need to study these chapters this amount of time, this many days. Uh, we actually met a couple weeks ago, and I remember Dylan pulled out his laptop. Poor sweet little Dylan. And he had made, <laughs> he had made this spreadsheet that was filled with like the expressions in Google Sheets, and it was color-coded, so he could type in the grade that he got in his final, and then it would automatically change the grade that he would have made in the class based on all the other work he had. And it was like, that is just just a perfect example of like too much worry about something, right? This is why I was an art major, because I painted stuff. Uh, so I did not have to worry about that. Um, and so just like this need and this desire and this pressure to like, I've got to I've gotta match up, right? I've got to do good enough. I've got to make the grade. And then I ask you guys, I want you to just think for yourself, close your eyes, put yourself in that position. Remember just a couple days ago that you have clicked send. Right? You have signed your name to the top of the paper. You have finished the project. You turned in the paper. Whatever it is, you are done with finals. And that moment when you step outside of that school building for the first time after being done for the semester and that feeling that washes over you, what is it? <sighs> right? Just that sigh of relief, that release of pressure, that knowing that it is finished moment. We talked about how that is the peace of God, of knowing that it is done, that it has been completed, and that nothing can change that, that that is what Jesus put out. He permeated all through eternity. And let's continue that on for just a little bit, though, knowing that we're talking about joy in this moment and hearing what Spurgeon had said and that, that joy is just dancing peace immediately after that feeling, right? You've had that, oh, that sigh of relief, the peace of knowing that it is finished. What happened this weekend? It was graduation. So those of you that finished, that were done, that had that moment of peace, it doesn't matter if you failed or not, right? That, that test, you're done, and so I know a lot of us got to experience this moment of celebration, of getting dressed up in that cap and gown that we've waited for, of being surrounded by our loved ones and our families, walking across uh, in front of our mentors and our peers and our colleagues and our teachers and professors, and giving that certification of saying that you were good enough, that you passed, here it is, it's done, throw your caps, yay, drinks on me, right? Sodas and stuff, it's like juice, right? Not you guys. There's a moment of celebration, it's a party, right? There's joy that comes after that. And even if you didn't graduate, just that knowledge of knowing, like at that point, you know what? I don't even care how I did beforehand. And it's not that in this moment of peace or, and, and then joy and that celebration, that parting, it doesn't negate the suffering that you went through, right? It doesn't negate all the times that maybe you failed an assignment, you forgot to turn something in, you had absolutely no idea whether the answer was A or C, but just knowing that it's done is enough to celebrate. And so in this, what Jesus has done and what we see in all of these verses is that sometimes, man, life 
sucks. It really does. It sucks. It looks horrible. It feels bad. It is not joyful. It is much closer to suffering. We go through things that put us in dark places that we don't think that we can get out of. But what Jesus has told us in this is that he has promised that he is our peace. He is our fulfillment. He is the completeness. In him, we are restored. The work is done. And it doesn't negate what's happened, but it means that when we look forward, that it's so small in comparison. Uh, it reminds me of, of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15. You don't have to turn there at all, but it's just a verse that I love. And it says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It reminds me of of verses like Romans uh, 8.38, which it's so freaking long, so I know I'm gonna mess it up, but just hold with me. And it says that I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, past, future, height, depth, powers of any kind, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It reminds me of other verses, you know, just I, I... All throughout scripture, what we see over and over and over again is that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far surpasses all else. And that when we look to Jesus as our joy and when we understand that in this moment that joy is not a feeling, joy is much more of an attitude. It is much more a posture of our hearts, of not looking at how it feels, not looking at our surroundings, but instead being like Paul and saying that we are full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. That that is the true meaning of biblical joy, of seeing that he is good and trusting in his faithfulness that he has restored us. And I don't want to talk for too much longer. Um, I want to make sure that we're on the same page with that and that we see that, that we can cry out and that we can say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? What kept coming throughout my mind over and over again, and hopefully this resonates with someone here, is that things don't make us happy, but Jesus makes us whole. Things don't make us happy, but Jesus makes us whole. And so in a moment, the band is gonna come back up, we're gonna play, and and there's gonna have that time of communion, right? And we do this every single Sunday, and so to this point, a lot of us are kind of used to it, and we know it, and it can easily become something that we go throughout the motions of. But this is also much bigger than just a time of communion. What this moment is meant for is supposed to be our chance to respond to the gospel. That while music is playing, you know, the communion's in the back, that no one's going to talk to you, no one is going to ask you to do anything, that this is your chance to reflect inward, to pray, and to ask God, and to seek, and to find, right? It's your chance to respond. And so what I ask you guys to do right now is, yes, take communion. Yes, this is a moment where we as Christians get to come together and we get to look at symbols that this is the body that was broken for me, right? That this, this juice is the new covenant, that these are the things that God has promised me, that, that these are symbols of what has restored me, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection, that my sins are forgiven, that I now can have that relationship with God. But even just beyond that, I would ask that if you are going through something, again, whether it be clinical, something that you've experienced throughout your entire life, whether it be something more situational, a trauma that you have experienced, a sense of loss, if life really sucks right now, that you would use this moment to respond to the goodness of God, 
that you would practice that idea of biblical joy, not trying to recreate some sort of feeling, okay? It sucks, and I get it. It feels bad. I'm not asking you to say that it doesn't. But what I am saying is, if we are believers in this room, can we cry out to God and can we practice that now in rejoicing, being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing and saying, even though right now I don't feel it, I know that you are good and that that brings me joy and that that makes me whole. I'd ask you guys that that would be the cry of our hearts today, that that is my challenge to you. Is there something that we need to in the midst of rejoice? And bow your heads, we're gonna pray and then we'll have a, a moment of that response Uh, in communion. Dear God, you are beyond words. It makes it really weird to pray sometimes because you are so beyond words. Thank you, God, um, for being that though for us. That your beauty, that your peace, that your goodness and that your strength is beyond compare, is beyond imagination. And God, I pray that you would see us and you would have patience on us. That we constantly, that we forget your good works, that we constantly forget how good you are. And I pray, God, that you, we know that you are in this room. We know that you are gathered among us and that you would just help us to feel it and to know it. That you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice inside us. That we would trust in you and in what you have given us and the sacrifice that you have made and that we would be able to rejoice in you though we are full of suffering and full of sorrow. God, I pray that in this moment that we can also, we can cry out, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And that the joy of the Lord, that it would fill us in this room today. We invite your spirit and we know that you are here. And as we go and as we take communion, I pray that above all else that we would focus on you, that we would look to you and we would see your love and we would see how good you are. It is in your holy and precious and good name that we pray. Amen.